Okay, well, John, thanks so much for joining me today. I appreciate it. Kevin, always a pleasure to be with you. We've had many conversations over the course of the past two years. Well, over the course of 10 years, right? But uh, most, more specifically, uh, in the past two years, looking at uh, you know the effects of the pandemic and then thankfully also to look at some of the various uh, funding initiatives that have come, come in, into play since then. Uh, but before we get into the big picture, though, let's talk a little bit about the news that Funds for Learning gave out today, a new, a new tool for, for schools and districts. Yeah, we're really excited. We're launching a, a free E-Rate Manager tool for applicants. Uh, E-Rate, uh, of course, is essential to internet connectivity in schools and libraries. Essentially, every school in America depends on it. Uh, the challenge, of course, with the E-Rate program is there's lots of deadlines and lots of information, and oftentimes, applicants just don't have access to their information. They don't know where to look. They don't even know where to begin. And so our E-Rate Manager tool that we're launching will give applicants uh, free access to any of their E-Rate funding data, all of their forms uh, that uh, they've, they've submitted in order to help them access the funding that they, that they worked, have worked so hard for and deserve. Uh, you know, one thing I've learned over the years, Kevin, uh, is that missed information oftentimes leads to missed opportunities. And if an E-Rate coordinator, a, a school member or a library staff member doesn't know they have a deadline, they don't know. They don't know that they have to get that form submitted, that invoice submitted. And when that happens, they lose funding for internet access, which means the kids are losing out. So we've launched this new tool. It's completely free. It's not a freemium model. It's a brand new tool. It really, it's our gift to the, uh, the E-Rate community. It's the 25th anniversary of the E-Rate program. And uh, we just want to do our part to help uh, to help encourage, support the community, and and in and in the process, all of us help transform student lives. And this was a tool that you had previously, right? I mean, this is kind of a, a, the latest and greatest version. Yeah. So we've. <laughs> where does the time go? We launched this tool actually back in 2003, uh, almost 20 years ago, uh, and uh, we were in the process of retooling it, uh, rebuilding it from the ground up. Uh, it was starting to show its age a bit, and so we've, we've, we were, we'd gone out to create this new system with brand new APIs and data stuff, and uh, we just thought, you know what, there's no better way to give back to the community than give this to the community. Yeah, so it's, it's completely free for applicants, always will be, uh, and it just gives them all access to the free information or the information that they need so that they can do the, uh, uh, the E-rate forms and hopefully get it all in on time. And, and get their school or their library system the funds they need. Yeah, and so you were mentioning uh, the complexity of the of the E-rate process. Uh, that's has only multiplied, right, in in the past several months with the uh, with the influx of new funds and new programs. Yeah, it's been a a journey for everyone. It's great that these emergency funds were made available, uh, you know, to help connect students and library patrons off campus. Emergency Connectivity Fund, and that's been administered through the E-Rate program. Uh, same types of forms, working through the same system, and it's been a lot of, you know, a, a, it's sort of like uh, double, tripled the, the number of forms, the number of deadlines everyone's having to keep up with. And I don't say that to complain, it's, it's been uh, really well received and a, a truly remarkable opportunity to get devices and millions of students hands and Wi Fi connections. 
uh, but it's just been that much more for applicants to keep on top of. And, you know, like any federal program, you miss one of those deadlines, you miss out. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's just the nature of it. Uh, and for very practical reasons, you know, they've got a lot of money, lots of people, they can't just, uh, they have to have structured deadlines and so on. But the net result for that school or that staff person is an overwhelming, you know, set of deadlines and forms and information. And really, a lot of times they don't even know where to access it. Mm -hmm. uh, in fact, if you're if you are a new E-rate coordinator for a school, uh, you won't even be able to get into the system, uh, the 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 online portal system that they're required to use. Uh, without knowing who in your school district is the authorized person to let you into it. So uh, our free tool actually even gives them access to know who in their school district they should contact because uh, it's all sort of behind this locked door, uh, which we should never have information that's sort of locked away that sure. is critical to you know meeting, meeting deadlines and getting forms submitted. I know, I guess it was back at... Uh... FETC in, in January of this year, you were giving a presentation um, and talking about, you know, in anticipation of, of these processes and going through. And I know that they were at that time, there were concerns about you know, the, just the, the nature of bureaucracy, right? The clogging of the processes. But take the temperature of where we are now. I mean, I mean, are those still concerns? I mean, is the money getting to where it needs to be? I mean, what, what's your kind of sense of the, the state of play? The money's getting where it's needed, and it's just moving a little slower than any of us would like. But by historical standards, it's the fastest it's ever gone out the door. Uh, we uh, were at the Shelby Conference this week and reflecting on the 25th anniversary of the E-Rate program. And I went back and was just sort of looking at some things from the first year or two. And the first year that we submitted applications, those applications all went in, they were being processed, they were being processed, the clock was ticking, it's like a montage in a movie, like fast forward. We got to the second filing window, Kevin, and we submitted the second round of applications before we ever heard back on the first round. So it took almost a year for the first funding commitments to be issued. And that was too long, much too long. Uh, we're not in that sort of situation today. Uh, we've actually gotten uh, kind of spoiled. Uh, USAC has improved their systems. Things are moving much faster than they, they have historically. So when I say it's, it's, it's going slow, it's, it's not as fast as anyone would like. Historically, in the context of where the E-rate program was, even five years ago, it's moving much faster. That being said, uh, you know, when a school district maybe has gone out and bought 200 tablets or laptop computers, and now they're waiting for their reimbursement, it can be hard to wait. And we are seeing some delays uh, in, in the processing of those payments, but I think ultimately it's gonna get processed. You know, Most of those things now we're talking about months, not years, yeah. uh, or maybe weeks, not months. So it's, it's, a, it's, it's an order of magnitude better. And you know, it's still, the, they, they still have room for improvement, obviously. Yeah. Now I know uh, another one of your big concerns over the years and even most recently is while this influx of funds is great for the moment and in the emergency and meeting the need, um, you've, you've made the call that this needs to be a sustained uh, funding strategy, not just a, a one-time 
talk a little bit about that and where you think uh, your argument is uh, having an effect, if it, if, if it is having an effect. I think about a classroom and the, the, the smallest unit here in all of this is, you know, the classroom, the teacher, the students, those devices right there. And a teacher that trusts that the internet will be uh, reliable, that it will work, that it will be fast, that the students can turn on their device and get connected and access a module or watch a video or take a test, that teacher will have confidence then to build that technology resource into their lesson plan. They'll plan around it, they'll plan their day around it, they'll plan their year around it. And then the students will have that confidence. So I want that picture in everyone's mind. You know, that's what we're talking about here. Okay, a teacher knows that they can do it. They know that they can assign that homework to be used on that device and they know that that student will be able to do it. When you lack that confidence, then you pull back. The teacher does it, the student does it, and at a macro level, the, the school districts themselves have to do that. And that's the situation they find themselves in with these emergency connectivity funds. There's, there's great value, great opportunity in these devices and these connections. And it's very difficult to plan out over the horizon when you don't necessarily know if those devices are going to continue to be there or if those connections are going to continue to be there. So the emergency connectivity fund came in and, and gave these one time stopgap measures that have have been in place now uh, for a little more than a year, uh, about two years. And uh, we're going to see the impact of this. But schools are now looking out on the horizon and saying, well, how can we continue to plan for uh, those connections? How can we continue to build those uh, those resources uh, into our lesson plans if we don't know if they're going to be there? So there has to be some mechanism, some process that's in place that will allow the school districts and the library systems to plan uh, for the long term. That's one of the great things about the E-rate program. One of the reasons that the E-rate program is so successful is that applicants can plan on it. They can budget around it uh, and not even just plan for this year, but they can look out over the next three, four, five years and come up with a really good plan. Okay, what makes the most sense? What's gonna be cost effective? How can we build towards this? There's no equivalent today for the off-campus piece, for the device piece of it. And I think as a, as a society now, we really have to turn our sights. We can catch our breath a little bit. Okay, that's good. We've, we've made it to this point. Now let's pivot towards the future and let's think more long-term. Let's think more sustainable. Uh, let's think about what makes sense technologically and, uh, and financially that we can build things that are predictable because in, until it's predictable and sustainable, uh, it's not going to be a part of the ongoing day to day. How important is the uh, participation of the industry of the telcos uh, in terms of uh, kind of bringing this whole relationship together uh, to their credit? It seemed you know, during the pandemic, um, many really did turned up, made their services free. It gave access to you know anybody and everybody, however they could, uh, and then there also seems to be other um, sort of foundation type uh, money strategies being put into place. Um, is that something that, in from your perspective, has improved, or, or does it still need to be more improved? They all stepped up big time. 
and you know hats off uh kudos whatever <laughs> fill in the blank like uh it was really cool to watch i'm just that sense of camaraderie and everyone locking arms to get it done yeah and and now again we have to kind of find a way that you know from the the commercial side the vendor side those networks cost a lot of money they're definitely you know there's there's uh i'm certainly uh you know cognizant of the fact that they have to have a return on investment and all of that sure. so we have to talk about as a group really as a as a community what makes sense and what is the balance of those different factors clearly on the commercial side they have a responsibility to their shareholders uh you know to okay we can't just give this stuff away forever where's the where's the balance on the other side of it uh there needs to be i think flexibility for the schools and the library systems to put in cost effective solutions well i'll give you a good example one of one of the things that we cannot do today in the e-rate program is extend a network outside of the school or outside of the library into the community without losing out on some e-rate funding maybe there's a school building that is right in the middle of a low income housing neighborhood and they want their students to be able to connect to the school network when they walk across the street to their apartment complex uh, there are a lot of benefits for that it saves money also the students are still on the computer network which means <coughs> which means it's filtered, has security, all that stuff that's built into the school network. Today, they cannot do that. Uh, and you know, and then and one of the reasons for that is there's concerns, well, what would be the commercial impact? You know, are they, are they stealing customers away from the cable TV company if those students have a, a connected device that's from the school? I think there are some common sense answers to those sorts of questions, but I just say that to illustrate the fact that there's a, there's a continuum here. There's kind of uh, uh, needs and opportunities that can that complement each other, but can kind of conflict also. But uh, I don't know exactly what the answers are. But I, I really think that we have to get together and say, okay, how can we how can we respect what the private sector needs, uh, recognize the really practical needs of the of the the public sector and the schools and libraries, and how can we find a good common ground that serves the need of society at the local level and the corporate level and all of that because we really uh you know the uh i was at the uh, did national digital equity summit about two weeks ago and the secretary of education was there and, and he just made this picture he painted this picture he said what if imagine a world where one in four students doesn't have a pencil to write with or or a textbook to use or a reliable uh, school bus because that's the world that we have these students living in when it comes to the technology and the digital devices. And we just can't, we shouldn't tolerate that as a society. So if, if we can all agree that that's not acceptable, then let's get together, hammer it out, uh, you know, get the right people in the room, but let's figure out a way that we can move forward in a sustainable, predictable way, because that's when the schools will begin planning, you know, for the long term what their curriculum are going to look like and, and what technology integration really looks like in 2024 and 2025 in their classrooms. So that's, I mean, that seamless experience is really, is going to be that the way that this finally actually ultimately integrates into students' lives, right? Yeah. You know, I mean, Kevin, you're, you know, you're, you, you, you get on the subway or a bus or something, you're, you're not really thinking about am I on Wi-Fi now or am I on cellular? Which network? You know, you're like, 
can you download what you need to download or can you, can right. you, you know, can you write the article you're trying to write? Right. Uh, and uh, it's the same world now that these students are in, uh, you know, yeah. they need to be able to have access to those resources whenever, wherever they need them. Uh, and there are so many different use cases that we can't, uh, we need a, a strong basic structure that will support all these different use cases. Uh, school bus Wi-Fi is a good example. Uh, you know, there are many great use cases for school bus Wi-Fi. Uh, in some cases, like rural America, you've got students that maybe are on the bus, you know, 30, 45 minutes each way. Uh, they can really use that time. And by the way, there's now a lot of good data because of the pandemic. Uh, uh, there's, there's a lot more out there of information we have. And they can answer questions like, well, hey, do students actually do their homework on the school bus? The answer is yes. Now, the little insider knowledge is that they do more of that in the morning on the way to school. <laughs> so, they, <laughs> so um, a little human nature there, right? Uh, Absolutely, yeah. You know, or, or you've got situations maybe like you've got a uh, you've got uh, students that are part of a uh, drama or debate club, and they're they're taking a two hour bus ride across the state to go to a tournament, and they can work on their homework while they're on that bus. Uh, but these are all things that today the regulations really don't anticipate or actually exclude. And we're going to have to figure out what the new guardrails are for the funds, you know, so that we can put in things that are practical, but meet the end users where they're at, which is really wherever, whenever they're, they're wanting to do a homework assignment or watch a lecture. And that could be anywhere today. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so you, you mentioned the 25 year anniversary of E-Rate. So congratulations on that and the, the great successes of your work over that past quarter century. Give me a little bit of a, a horizon. And now you just kind of gave us the next two or three years that things were hopeful. Give us a little bit, a little further out on that horizon and, and where if all things are equal or you know the, the obstacles are overcome, where, where you see the, um, the state of, of what we've just been talking about. Mm -hmm. You know, each year Funds for Learning conducts a survey of E-rate applicants, and uh, we just closed that survey. We're about to publish the results, our annual E-rate trends report. And you know, one of the things we ask in there is, all right, what are your bandwidth needs going to be? And 84% of the respondents said that they would be increasing their bandwidth in the next three years. These are the same applicants that have tripled their bandwidth over the past five years. And uh, it is a... Uh, it, you know, it's not an exaggeration to just look at these networks and, and recognize that, you know, they're going to be 10xing the bandwidth utilization. You, uh, uh, jokes about the metaverse aside and how that all plays out. There's holograms in the future. You know, there are virtual reality uh, field trips and opportunities that are, I think, going to make what we have today look sort of outdated and, and silly. You know, it's like, oh, you just had a, a 2D screen you were looking at. And, yeah, right. Uh, the things that you know, the holodeck on uh, Star Trek: The Next Generation, or something—that's uh, that's not so crazy anymore. And so, as I look out and as I talk to educators, uh, it's clear that we're moving towards a world where the technology is going to be uh, much uh, much better integrated into the classroom environments, and and the opportunities that will be available are just going to be. Uh, tremendous. I really think for all learners, uh, for uh, learners with various learning disabilities, it's just there is there's a great bright future on the horizon. And all of it is riding on 
network connections, having fast, reliable, secure internet connections. And I think that on the, the policy side, uh, there's going to be some uh, tough work that needs to be done to really uh, um, modernize the E-rate program again, uh, to, uh, to come to terms with the fact that education is not defined, not only not defined by a zip code, but really not even defined by what side of the street you're on. Uh, the, the regulations today are, are really dialed into, okay, we'll provide support to this address, but not that address. And we have to rethink uh, really what technology access looks like, and then find ways to address that in the regulations that, you know, make sure that there's enough funding to go around, that it's distributed equitably. But if we, if we can't do that, then we're going to sell our, our future short. Uh, the students need the access, they deserve it. We've got school and library budgets now that, that rely on this support, they need it. Uh, and we've got staff at the schools and libraries that are working really hard, doing their very best to make sure this happens. So we have to find ways to bring the regulations and the programs up to speed so that they can, they can provide a secure, reliable internet connection, whatever speed that needs to be five years from now. <clears throat> but that that's I think where things are headed it's but it's very exciting you know I'm, I'm really uh, uh, you know a silver lining from from COVID and the pandemic is just the fact that this topic is now you know much more uh, a part of discussions uh, you know yeah. Kevin you and I were talking about this stuff five years ago right uh, it, but people didn't really understand it well now they do now they get yeah. it and so, uh, you know, the, the folks on Capitol Hill get it now, they understand it, they have children or grandchildren that were struggling to get internet connections. And so uh, I'm, I'm encouraged that there's a greater level of awareness of this important need. And, and now we can just kind of turn our sights towards really just the work of figuring out then where the money's gonna come from, how it's structured and how it gets, uh, how those resources get out into the communities to make sure that the students the teachers, the parents, all of them are connected. So fatter pipes with uh, sustainable funding and uh, tight but fair regulation in order to get everybody a, a part of that pipe. Yeah, see, and that's why you do your job because I just spent five minutes trying to say that and you did it in like 15 seconds. I'm just, I'm, I'm thinking about my headlines you, for next week, John. <laughs> well, thanks again, John, for your time and your insights. Always a pleasure. And uh, I hope we speak again soon with uh, more good news. Awesome. Always a, always a pleasure to see you, Kevin. I appreciate it.